there's that great um, analogy of the guy whose temperature is like his, his the temperature in the middle is normal but his head's in an oven and his feet are in a freezer you know and he, that's not fine Dizruns Radio episode 906 starts in three two Welcome back to Diz Runs Radio, where I talk with runners from all corners of the running world about running, life, and everything in between. I'm your host, Denny Cray, and it's just about time to head out the door for an easy run and a great conversation. So if you're ready, then I'm ready. Let's get started. Hey guys, uh, real quick before we dive into today's episode, if one of your you know kind of goals, resolutions, whatever you want to call it for the new year, is to uh, do a bit more reading, which I feel like has been one of my goals for the last few years, and, and honestly, I can say it's been it's been part of my goals for the last few years. Not because I failed at it, but because every year that I read a little bit more, I'm like, yeah, man, I need to read a little bit more. Like I I'm enjoying reading more, uh, enjoying learning more about running and about business and life and all kinds of various things. If that's one of your your ambitions for this year. And uh, you think that Audible might help you, then check out Audible. Uh, and you can do so and also support the show at the same time. I have a little affiliate relationship with uh, the folks over at Audible, which basically means that if you use my link, which is disruns.com slash Audible, to, f- to sign up for a free tr- a free trial period, uh, you get 30 days to try it for free. You get a free audio book that you get to keep whether or not you, you decide to continue your subscription beyond that. Um, I get some money and it costs you nothing, which is which is one of those beautiful relationships, right? Uh, of course, the the from from Audible's perspective, they're like, hey, if we let these if we let these guys try it for free, they're gonna like it, they're gonna want to stick around, they're gonna end up buying some books and getting the monthly membership. Which, spoiler alert, I do highly recommend. I'm a big Audible fan, um, but that's that's their their play on it, and they they pay me if you sign up to promote it. I mean, it's 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 really a it's really a pretty pretty sweet deal. So if you want to check it out, I would encourage you to do so. If you want to help out the show at the same time. I would appreciate you doing so. Uh, Dizruns.com slash audible is the link. It'll direct you right there to the audible page. It'll look exactly like normal it, it, because it is exactly like normal. I just get a little, uh, you know, cookie that's on the website. They, they s- send some money to me for, for you trying it out. And if in 30 days you're like, yeah, you know, I'm not, I'm not convinced. Diz, sorry. It's not all that you, you made it out to be. You cancel it. It's like one or two clicks cancels. No big deal. And you never get charged. You get to keep the book. Bada boom, bada bam. I get to keep the money too. You know, not for nothing, but I get to keep keep the money that they send me, whether or not you continue the trial. So again, everybody wins in this scenario. So uh, check it out. Get a book. Let me know what book you're reading. I'm, I'm planning to read more books this year than I have in the past, which also includes listening to more books than I have in the past. So always looking for good suggestions, especially if they're along the lines of running related books or uh, kind of, you know, personal development type of books. Those are kind of two of my areas of focus this year. So if you pick something out along those lines, or if you have an old school favorite, let me know that as well. Maybe I'll add that to my Audible queue and uh, burn up a couple credits using uh, some of your suggestions. So uh, not for nothing, check it out, disruns.com slash Audible. And now let's go ahead and dive in to today's episode of the show. Hey guys, uh, today's guest is someone that uh, knows a thing or two about the science of staying hydrated during a run. Uh, so stay tuned for some serious sweat talk uh, in today's episode. Uh, he's also a former elite level triathlete with several top 10 finishes in various Ironman and Ironman 70.3 races, um, and has even uh, claimed a, an Xterra world title uh, in the age group category to his name as well. So uh, clearly knows what it's like to be pushing himself on, on race day uh, and, and as a triathlete in multiple different disciplines on race day as well. Um, 
But he's also had some struggles with cramping and dehydration during races, which kind of led to him taking the the deep dive into the world of electrolytes, electrolyte replacement, uh, and ultimately founding a a hydration replacement company called Precision Hydration. So uh, needless to say, we have plenty of things to talk about today. And uh, let's get the party started by officially welcoming Mr. Andy Blow to the show. So uh, thanks for joining us today, Andy. Really appreciate it. Good to be on chatting with you, Denny. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely, absolutely. And guys, if you uh, enjoyed today's conversation and, and uh, want to check out some of the, the product that Andy and his, his team have uh, available, uh, precisionhydration.com is the website. And we're going to have a little code that we'll, we'll throw out there somewhere towards the end. You're going to have to listen to get the code. Uh, but precisionhydration.com is the website. Uh, on Instagram, it's at precisionhydration. On Twitter, at the sweat experts. And uh, as per usual, I have everything linked up, you know, links, photos, the whole nine uh, in the show notes for today's episode, which you can get to at disruns.com slash 906. Uh, disruns.com slash 906. I'll have everything in it about today's episode and links and all the good stuff uh, for anything that you need uh, after listening to our conversation today. So, uh, Andy, the way we always start off each episode of the show is with a very uh, simple and straightforward question that for some folks, it's it's a pretty easy one to answer. Uh, for some folks, it's a little bit more difficult. And and I, I feel like the ultra marathoners have a struggle with the question a little bit. And sometimes the triathletes do as well, because there are, there are so many different <laughs> uh, great options to choose from. But uh, in any event, it's a great place to start the conversation. It's just a Simply ask, what is your favorite distance to race and why? I reckon, Danny, it's for me it's a half marathon. Okay. Because it's that it's it's a really interesting distance. It's sort of halfway. It, you can train for it on a reasonable mileage without having to go and do those horrible twenty mile <laughs> Sunday runs, you know, that you have to do for the marathon. But it's it's kind of long enough to really test your endurance and it's that sweet spot i reckon so i think and i'm probably a bit biased because i think my best running results came around sort of 10 miles or half marathon it seemed to be my favored distance so yeah that's that's my pick Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, it's, it's definitely a, a common answer around here. And, and, um, I think for, for a lot of the same reasons that you were getting at, it's just, it, it's just, it really is a good distance. It's challenging, but it's not all, all encompassing like some of the longer stuff can be. So it, it really is a, a great distance. And, um, would be curious to ask Andy, how did you get, uh, how'd you start in the world of, of endurance and, and, you know, whether it's, it's running specifically or whether it's, it's triathlon, like, is that something that was always part of your life growing up as a kid or, or how'd you stumble into this world that we all know and love? Yeah, I started off pretty early on my my dad well like most kids in the in the uk i played soccer mm-hmm. as my main sport when i was really young and then my dad was my dad started being a soccer referee and found that he couldn't keep up with the games so he he started running when he was probably about 40 i guess mm-hmm. and sort of i started running with him because it just was a, it seemed like a good idea and ultimately found that the, I probably was a little bit better at running without a ball at my feet than with a ball at my feet. So didn't progress too far with soccer, even though I was, when I was young, I was desperate to be a professional footballer. Um, and then, and then ended up doing cross country running, which is probably the main competitive running that you do at school in the UK. I'd always done a little bit of swimming as well. And so I did some swim run races in the early nineties when I was sort of early teenage and that that kind of led me into triathlon, and that's what I ended up. I probably ended up taking triathlon the most seriously of all the endurance sports I've done. Did it for a long time, but I actually think that running was running was always my favourite part of it, and and still remains so today. It's still the sport that I do most of today. Gotcha, gotcha. So, um, 
you know, uh, along that along that line, uh, and one kind of a question that I feel like I, I ask just about everybody that's that's a triathlete or at least that, that dabbles in multi sports that comes on the on the show. Um, how, how did you find the the different disciplines to um, to, uh, to benefit each other? Uh, to, you know, the, the the different types of training because I feel like as as runners, you know, speaking as as somebody who basically just runs, um, you know, I, I, I even though I, I sometimes know better. I, I sometimes struggle with the idea of like, well, more, more is better. You know, more is always better, more running, yeah. more running, more running. Um, but obviously if you're doing triathlons or even if you're doing the, just the swimming and the running events, um, you can't just focus on one or the other or else, especially at the higher levels, if you're really trying to be competitive, because if, if, if you can't get out of the water, like it doesn't matter how great of a cyclist you are, how great of a runner you are, you're going to have a hard time catching up to the, to the guys that get out of the water quickly. Um, so how, how did you find the, the different disciplines to really kind of work together or, or, or did you struggle to find the balance of, of them working together to kind of cross benefit each other? Yeah, it's an interesting question because I think ultimately, especially when you look at cycling and running, they they should complement each other in so many ways because on the bike you can do lots more hours than you can running. So you can really benefit your aerobic system. You can get strong. You, know, you can build up your muscular endurance in your legs. But it, it also kind of works against you running as well because the mechanics of it and the muscle mass that it builds up mm. doesn't really help with the running. And, I, you know, so it was. It, there's always a bit of a tension between the two, really, in terms of balancing them out. And actually, in one of the one of the years when I had my best results, my my main coach was was a predominantly a running coach, although he helped me with my overall programming for swimming, cycling, and running. And one interesting thing that he did, especially during the off season, which I've not heard of many other triathletes and multi-sport athletes doing, is that we would periodically cycle through doing weeks where we'd basically only run or basically only cycle or basically only swim. So it'd really get the mileage up in one of the disciplines with just a couple of sessions of the others to keep them ticking over. And the whole idea of that was to kind of see if you could make some gains in that one area while keeping the others up to a level and also keep things mentally fresh. So quite often when we do a running week, the challenge there was that I would need to try and run a hundred miles in the week, mm. but then also fit in a little swim or two or a little recovery bike ride or two. And so I actually, I found that really, you know, enjoyable. And when I, I did a bit of coaching for a while and had a few athletes sort of try that philosophy in the off season as well and, and think it can be quite good, but there's always that, there is always that kind of tension with multi-sport athletes on, on, getting the three to integrate the time when it's really beneficial. I think there's, if you pick up an injury and often that I would say most people would agree the lion's share of injuries happen in running out of those three sports. And therefore you've always got another sport or two to fall back on. And, you know, certainly this year I tore a calf muscle in January this year. So spent a lot of time on an indoor bike, you know, as a, as a result. And I think having the triathlon background enables you to jump in and do that a bit more easily than if you're just a runner. Wow. A torn, a torn calf. How did you manage that? Oh, just being too keen. I actually, cause you're <laughs> in Florida, aren't you? And, uh, last, last December, I spent most of December in the U S in 2019, partly working and then on vacation with my family for Christmas. And I just had this, I've done it a few times now. I just had a little challenge to kind of try and run every day in December. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I did, I did that and I did the stupid thing that, that, I shouldn't have done, which was kind of push through a bit of a tight calf muscle. It was just, t it was just t t uh, tensing up and tensing mm -hmm. up. And then I gave it a, a week's rest when I got home in January, but there was a, there was a local cross country race, an 11 mile cross country race. And one of my colleagues at work was racing and 
I kind of went out the gates pretty hard in that. And, and yeah, that was, that was me. I had a popped calf, which kept me out for another nine weeks, Oof. which was a bit of an annoying start to the year. <laughs> yeah. Well, and then, and then of course, you know, with, with hindsight as, as it is, what 2020 has turned into, you know, you missed, you missed nine weeks. That was like the, the only time to really, uh, really, obviously I don't know exactly how it's all shaked out in the UK versus here with, with COVID-19, but you know, no races here after about the first part of March or the middle of March, or at least very few and far between. So, uh, I don't know if that's prime racing season, but at least, you know, whatever other cross country events you might've had, uh, kind of go out the window and then, uh, kind of just, just training and recovering, I guess. Is that, is that kind of how it's played out for most of the rest of the year? Yeah, definitely. It's been, I did actually squeeze a race in just at the, right at the end of February when I was kind of just on the, on the last bit of rehab, it was a swimming and running race. So Mm -hmm. I could kind of ease off on the run a bit and just get through it. But yeah, after that, yeah, like, like the rest of the world, it kind of all imploded. And I actually did a fair bit of running early on in, we got locked down in the UK. We we were at one point, we were supposed to stay within a a kilometer or two of our home. So I was running a lot of loops around near my house and just doing that early in the morning just to just to stay sane before I started the the homeschooling and the working from home with the family. Yeah, certainly something that uh I think most of us I know I can relate to uh, and I think a lot of folks can can probably relate to uh you know at least can remember back and and be hopeful hopeful that we don't have to go down this road again of uh you know the 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 full lockdowns and now with the vaccine hopefully that uh will continue to to progress in in uh, the right direction and and beat this virus and get back to uh races and you know things in in uh quote unquote normal or whatever the new normal is going to look like but um Shifting back a, a little bit uh, back in the timeline there, Andy, uh, curious, you know, kind of w- when did you start to make the tr- transition into really, you know, being competitive at, at, and really pushing yourself being kind of the, the upper tier, that, that elite level of, of the racing world, whether it's the, the triathlons or, or other events, um, you know, w- when did you kind of realize that, hey, like, not only do I enjoy this stuff, but like, I'm pretty good and I can be right up there with the leaders at these long distance races? Well, I... I was really lucky to study sports science at college at university a place called the university of bath in england and they had a triathlon um coaching mm. sort of squad there like an elite performance squad and i i went there with a view to try and break into that squad and and have and after i, I was successful in doing that and that meant that at the time i was training around some of the best athletes in the world guys that were going to the olympics and winning world championships and that sort of thing. So the level there was really high. And that was at sort of age 18, 19, 20, that was really inspirational and, and brought me on loads and loads. And although I never kind of got to that truly world-class level, I was it pulled me up to a level where I did compete for Great Britain a couple of times and certainly had a few decent results. And it was that, it, so it was like really late teens, early 20s when I went from being a bit of a doing it more so for fun to doing it more seriously and I don't know if I ever had like a huge talent I don't think I've got a huge talent for it but I definitely worked really hard through that that period and was it was it was obsessed with it really you know and um, I'm sure a lot of endurance athletes can relate to that when you get into a, a point where this sort of sport in a healthy or even sometimes borderline unhealthy way takes over for a while and I really went all in on it and actually, you know, for a lot of the time, really enjoyed that, having the opportunity to go full out. And and that, and that during that time, I sort of moved from doing the shorter distance triathlon races to the longer stuff. So to Xterra, to half Ironman and, and full Ironman. And ironically, that was where I sort of then started to find that I had all these problems with mm. sweat and hydration. And I was blowing up in all these long, hot races. And that, that then shaped 
you know, what I went on to do now with precision hydration. Right. Right. Um, when you're, when you're racing at that level, whether it's, it's, you know, with, with, you know, with and against guys that are definitely on the world stage. And like you said, I mean, even putting on the, 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 you know, the team Great Britain gear once in a, you know, a couple of times and, and, you know, representing, representing your, your, your country. Um, what, what's the difference or maybe not what's the difference, but, but, you know, I guess maybe, yeah. What is the difference? What is the difference between the, the, you know, being right there at the top and being just below? Is it, is it, a, a talent gap because I kind of feel like you know everybody's working hard, like you said. Like maybe you didn't have quite the, as much talent, but you worked worked obviously really hard to be up at that level. Um, is it is it mental? Is it is it something that is almost you know difficult to put a finger on? Like 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 what? Because I don't know what it's like to be at the front of a big pack like that. Let's let's just you know be perfectly blunt about that. Um, but for somebody who's been up there, what what is it that separates the the best from the those that are are not quite the best, but still obviously really really good and really really fierce competitors? I think some of it, some of it, a lot of it is mental. I think some of it's having, you know, like real long-term vision and confidence in your ability. Cause I, there's a couple of athletes that, that, that the same age as me and that I was in the junior system with in the UK. One's, one's called Tim Don and one's called Stuart Hayes. And they both ended up going to the Olympic games at different times. They've both, um, Tim's been a world champion. Stuart's been one world cup events and won lots of long distance races and they've both been really really high performers for many many years and i think when we were as juniors you know there was always this kind of like slight slight gap that existed in probably a little bit in raw ability but also i just remember how dedicated and focused and confident those guys were and i always aspired to to be like that but didn't seem to i don't know didn't seem to have that same that same level of, of confidence in, in my ability to perform at a high level. And I don't know whether that comes from not quite having the speed and the endurance and what it takes or whether it one feeds the other. I think there's an interesting like interaction there. Mm-hmm. But one thing I do know is that the best year of racing that I had, which was probably around sort of 2002, 2003, maybe 2004, that, that sort of time was my confidence in my own ability became really high. And then when you when you start doing well or winning races or getting on the podium you start kind of expecting to do that and then i think that is like a a change in your mindset and i certainly went into a lot more races around that time like feeling like i was one of the people who should be up there and then that changes the way you changes the way you pace it changes the way you behave and you kind of you become that so i think one feeds the other yeah, as I was gonna say, it, it sounds like, and I, I guess I've kind of heard this before, and it makes sense, right? Like it, it kind of creates this almost domino effect where you think you belong, so then you race better, which makes you think you belong even more, which makes you like, and it just kind of keeps building upon itself. Yeah, definitely. And I think where I had problems with it when I was younger was I had a few, a few good races when I was training. When I was training in a big squad system, like I was at the University of Bath, at, there's so many really good people there that mm-hmm. on any any day there's always a few people are having a good day and a few people are having a bad day and if you're one of the ones who's trying to climb the ladder and be up and coming you kind of always want to feel like you're progressing or you're getting closer to the top but that's really like that's not possible in that sort of environment because the the talent density is so high and that actually before I kind of because I almost gave up the sport at one point because I think that crushed my confidence you know it sent me the other way because I wanted to be always like feeling like I was keeping up in every training session. But when you're in the lower percentile, 
you of the group you're always going to have to have your best day to mm-hmm. be doing that and you and, and as you know as i well know now but it wasn't obvious at the time it's like not possible to have your best day every day in fact you probably only have your best day a few times a year and the rest of the time you're either pretty mediocre or and some of the time you're really rubbish mm-hmm. and that's just that's just your body and your mind and and i think that's that's a really you know that's the that's the dark side of these kind of training groups and situations that that develop talent is that they work really well if you've got the right mindset or you can be looked after in the right way in that environment so it doesn't burn you out and i definitely suffered quite a bit with sort of mental and physical burnout as a result of trying to keep up with other people in that in that phase so yeah it was a lot of things learned i reckon yeah, yeah, certainly. Um, talking about you know struggling with with some of that that mental and physical burnout is that is that ultimately I, I know that the cramping and, and some of the dehydration issues are, are part of this at least I'm assuming are probably kind of part of this as well. But um, the, the 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 burnout was that kind of what started you leaning away towards you know continuing to compete at that level or or did you kind of push through it and work through it or, or kind of how did how did that shake out at that point? Well, what, what happened was basically at university, I was studying sports science. And although my the ideal thing for me would have been to go on and be a professional athlete, that's what I wanted. I think it was quite obvious reasonably quickly that that was, that was only ever going to be a really slim chance and that I needed to probably have a backup plan. And for me, that was working in sport. And I was really lucky in that I did an internship and got a job working in a Formula One racing team, working with their drivers, doing the fitness training and it was around that time that I was also then struggling with my own performance and kind of was basically ready to give up at that point probably and or or certainly give up like trying to chase it seriously but my boss um, a guy called Bernie Shrewsbury who was the human performance manager for the F1 team he was very he was an ex-triathlete and was very vocal with me about the fact that he thought I should keep training and keep competing and was really good at making time with my job for me to do that and making allowances for me to travel and compete. So it was, it was kind of down to a bit of external encouragement that I had another, had another go at it. And I went from the short distance to the long distance at that point and started to have a bit of success, probably had some of my best races. And it was, and it was then also like interesting during that phase when I came up against these problems with, with sweat and hydration and stuff. And there was this, there then seemed to be this opportunity to combine everything that I'd learned by, overcoming issues like that myself and and with the study of sports science that i'd done and this kind of idea of working with athletes long term that i thought this is an area that i'm super interested in so i started to pursue it a lot more gotcha gotcha well let's and let's dive into that a bit more because um if there's if there's one thing that that I think that people know that I appreciate. I hope I hope everybody that listens regularly knows I appreciate is is some good science. Even even if we don't always understand it, or even if if sometimes the the, the science seems to maybe point against a little bit of what what maybe I I uh, have have always believed before. Like when when science comes about, I mean science is science. So let's let's dive into it a little bit. But um, you know, like you said, you're you're extending out to the, some longer distance races and, and having some some success, which is always you know always encouraging, right? Like it kind of helps make you want to keep keep going at it. Um, and then again, if I'm, if I'm missing up the timeline a little bit, please correct me, but you have a couple of races where things don't go as well. And, and, you know, due to cramping, due to dehydration, things like that. Um, you know, if, if we can go back in time, like what made you think that maybe there was more to it than just, you know, I, I think that, that for a lot of folks and, and maybe myself included, um, you know, if something like that happens, even, even a couple of times, it's just like, ah, you know, it, like 
it was the body or I didn't, I didn't do something. I didn't drink the right thing or I didn't drink enough or I drank too much, which is sometimes a problem as well. Um, and kind of just look at it as like, ah, you know, it is, it is what it is, you know, lesson learned and and come back the next time. Um, was there something that you can point to that kept you from kind of having that train of thought versus, Hey, let's really dive into this and kind of see what's, what's going on. Or was there kind of a a slow process from, from one camp to the other? Kind of, how did you go from, you know, having, having some hydration issues, some cramping issues that, that ruined some races to like really diving into the science and, and, and making this obviously like what you do for a living now. Yeah, it was, it was like an interesting pattern of repeating failure in hot weather that, that was the, mm-hmm. the, the issue for me. And although I did a lot of my competing in the UK, where obviously we don't get loads and loads of hot weather, so I could, I could do okay there. It was just really became frustrating whenever I went anywhere where it was hot and especially mm-hmm. anywhere where it was hot and humid. I would just feel awful and fall apart in races. And I'd, all, I'd always known that I have a pretty high sweat rate because that's just obvious. If, mm-hmm. you, if you do go for a run with me or whatever, I'm just soaked it's, you know, <laughs> from even in, even in mild conditions, you know, I can just wet my shirt out quite easily. But, but then I was talking with a, a friend of mine who's a, a heart surgeon a guy called Dr. Jutley, because I was trying to pick his brains about like, what's going wrong with me in these races? Because yeah, I was suffering horrible cramps. I was feeling really lightheaded. I was often ending up in the medical tent in a really bad way and just, just repeatedly underperforming. And he helped me to break it down and understand the physiology of sweating a lot more. And he, he was the one who suggested actually, what we need to do is we need to measure the the salt loss or the sodium Mm -hmm. loss in your sweat. Because he said, look, this varies a lot from person to person. He said, I have a hunch that you're losing like a lot more than average with a high sweat rate and also a high sodium content in your sweat. It might be that everything you're reporting is kind of consistent with low sodium levels in the body. This is what he would see in clinical patients. Mm -hmm. And so he arranged for me to have a sweat test, which is where they take a sweat sample. And this was done in a hospital and they took a sweat sample and sure enough, the result came back. You know, it's really, really high. I was losing 1,800 milligrams of sodium or 1.8 grams of sodium in every liter, which wow. is about 32 ounces that I sweat out. And the average for, for a normal you know, person in the population is more like 900 milligrams mm-hmm. a liter. So I'm kind of like two times the salt concentration in sweat and probably also about two times the average sweat rate. Mm. So he he sort of put the numbers into a very rudimentary spreadsheet and showed me what how much salt and fluid he thought I was losing in an Ironman, and we figured out that what I was actually doing was probably dramatically over drinking but under salting. salting. Mm-hmm. And and then it was a case of okay, well, and he actually was pretty adamant that I needed to try a way more aggressive strategy with salt replacement, which you know because I I trusted him and I sort of had nothing to lose. I I pursued that line. And it was like, it was like night and day for me. It was just like, honestly, like a magic bullet. It was Mm. the thing that made all the difference. And that was like fascinating, really, for me to find something after all those years of struggling in the heat to then find something that really flipped the switch. I was like, wow, this is, this is powerful stuff. And, you know, once I'd stopped competing, um, and, and I was at that time you know, starting up a sports science lab working with athletes. I thought we have to do sweat tests as part of what we offer because although I didn't necessarily think it would, it would be quite as, as you know, amazing an experience for everybody. I thought I can't be the only one who's mm-hmm. suffered with this problem. And, and back in the early days of um, when I was doing this, this was in the early mid 2000s, I spent a lot of time on the forums for ultra running 
websites because they seem to be the place where people were, were very up on this and discussing it a lot because ultra runners, you know, I guess ultra runners and Ironman athletes were the ones back then who were a niche little group of people who were in the field basically suffering with problems like hyponatremia, which is mm-hmm. where you get low blood sodium levels from over drinking. And, and there was a lot of chat about what optimal electrolyte replacement looked like. So I learned loads by diving into those forums and, you know, kind of observing the conversations that were going on. And at the same time started to, I bought a sweat testing machine um, from a, that one that was used for a clinical application and started using it in our lab with athletes. And, and then we started to find, okay, well, when we test people, we see a big range in mm-hmm. sweat sodium loss. So although the average is about 900, I was losing 1800 milligrams per liter of sweat. It wasn't long before we'd seen people at two or 300 milligrams right. of sodium loss. So who had really dilute sweat. And then we were seeing people at over 2000 milligrams per liter and kind of everything in between. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, why is no one, why is this not more well understood? And then you dive into the scientific literature and you realize actually to an extent it is reasonably well understood in the kind of, if you, if you get some scientific experts right. around it, there's been lots of papers published, there's been lots of data, but it's not, it's not in the common, it's not, it's not common knowledge to most runners or triathletes or cyclists. And so precision hydration came out of the fact that I thought, well, a sweat test is a really useful thing to, to get out into the market for athletes and that's where we started and eventually that then led down the road of you know adding electrolyte products of different strengths so that if you had a requirement outside of what a normal product could replace then we could make something for you instead yeah and that's and that you know is right into my my wheelhouse and, and core beliefs of of you know nothing being one size fits all. And, and the idea that, you know, it works for one person works for one person on, on just about anything when it comes to training, when it comes to diet, when it comes to, uh, overall, you know, mid race or mid run nutrition. Uh, and certainly when it comes to, um, electrolyte replacement and, and, and hydration during a race, which is, which is, it's, I don't want to say it's embarrassing that I think of this now, but like, I've kind of thought about it before and I've certainly had conversations with folks about like, Hey, maybe you're a saltier sweater. Maybe you need to, to add a little bit more, or, you know, take some salt, salt, salt pills or mix up your drink a little bit more concentrated or whatever. But I don't know that I've ever really like put the necessarily pieces together of like, Oh yeah. Like no kidding that just, you know, whatever the, the off the shelf product or whatever, like probably doesn't work for everybody at that concentration because again, you know, not everybody sweats at the same rate. So with, with, with that kind of thought in mind, you know, if going to the lab is, is, I mean, let's not kid ourselves. Like that's probably the best, that that's probably the best way to get the, the good hard data to know how much you're, you're losing, um, as far as how much salt is coming out when you're, when you're sweating. Um, are there, are there other ways, other, other tests that people can, can do or, or kind of rules of thumb or, or at least ways to get a ballpark of whether or not they're, you know, a, a heavy salt sweater or a light salt sweater or somewhere in the middle? Like, like what are, what are some of the maybe signs and symptoms or things like that, that, uh, people can look for other than maybe like, you know, your story of like always cramping up and really struggling in, in the heat and humidity, um, which I know there's folks that are like that as well, but, um, just in general, kind of, are, are there other ways to, to kind of help figure that out or, or how, and maybe I'm asking like six questions to answer here, which is terrible podcasting, but, um, <laughs> uh, are there, you know, how, how easy is it to go get a proper sweat test? Is that something you can just roll up to the, the, the local clinic or the, the university or, or, uh, you know, I guess long winded way of saying it, how can we understand what our individual, uh, salt, uh, you know, loss numbers might actually be? Yeah, it's, it is a really good question. Cause when I started out, I was scouring the internet to try and find a way to get my sweat tested. And there was 
very few places you could go. Most of them were either hospitals or academic institutions and it cost a load of money to get it done and it, it just wasn't practical. Now, if you want to get your sweat tested, we've got, you know, I think in excess of 200 sweat testing machines around the world now, where, which are usually with kind of, um, they're, they're with sports scientists or with some of them are with retailers or people in the sports industry. So there is a little bit more access to going and getting a sweat test to actually get your sweat sodium concentration measured. And if you're lucky enough to sort of be near one or within travelable distance to one, that's one way of getting it done. But because we recognised pretty quickly that deploying that technology really, really widely was going to be a challenge because it's quite expensive, mm-hmm. we we actually looked at... Um, at developing like an online questionnaire. So on our website, there is a, a free click-through questionnaire you can do, and it asks you questions about how you, what you perceive your sweat rate to be like, whether you've generally suffered um, more in hot conditions than in cooler conditions, whether you see salt white salt marks on your skin and clothing, whether you get muscle cramps frequently or not, and it helps to sort of steer you in the direction of whether you're likely to be a low, a medium, a high, or a very high um, salty sweater or not. And although the scientific approach of actually getting a measurement on that is is ultimately always going to be the best, I don't think it's necessary or essential for for the vast majority of people because there's always a bit of trial and error involved in this. And, you know, I heard you speak on a previous podcast when someone had asked about electrolytes. And and one of your key points was, like, first of all, if if you're worried about whether you might need to take electrolytes on a run or not, like, think about how you feel because if you just – not drinking anything or you're drinking water and you're feeling absolutely fine and you're recovering fine and performing fine, then there's no, there's no need to go any further really. You know, you're probably coping absolutely fine. When you start to feel like actually when I, when it's hot, when I train hard or when I race hard in the heat, I do feel a bit crappy. Either my performance suffers, I cramp, I feel like crud afterwards, I get headaches and feel lethargic and tired and all those kind of things. Then all of a sudden it's like, Hmm, you know, maybe we should be looking at what electrolyte losses look like. And so what we've spent a lot of the last few years doing is producing a lot of information alongside that online sweat test in in the blog section on our website to help people kind of understand what the range in physiological differences are, clues as to where they might sit, and then tips on where to start that trial and error process for you. So basically what that online test does, it says, right, Denny, based on what you've said, based on where you live, the kind of mileage you're doing, you know, the the sort of what you've reported, it sounds like you might need X or Y strength of drink. And that'd be a good place to start. And then you then then you get out there and you kind of, you know, do what we all need to do and test it out. Right. It's like it's like when you when you sort of go and try out, out a new pair of shoes, you can you can read all about the supposed benefits and what type of runner you are and what kind of mileage you're doing all this. But the acid test is always sticking on your feet and going and trying them. And that's what that's what we try and get people to do with the right with, with electrolyte replacement is is get to the point where they're confident in the ballpark of where they need to be starting and then help them do some organized trial and error to find what actually works works for them. Because the, the industry standard is just to you know, we always liken it to T shirts. The industry just gives everybody a medium. Right. Because it's because it's a medium. The that's the, that's the average thing to do. Yeah. Right. It's the average. And that whole thing about averages don't tell you the whole story because average is fine when all the data is clustered around the average. Mm-hmm. But there's that great 
um, analogy of the guy whose temperature is like his, his, the temperature in the middle is normal, but his head's in an oven and his feet are in a freezer, Right. you know, and he, that's not fine, but his average temperature would be fine. And I think with, with hydration, it's a case that the, the market has been giving out a message and a product, which is just like one size fits all for so long. Mm-hmm. People have been basically, I've just accepted that or been brainwashed by it when actually there are people at the fringes of that who just aren't very well served. And I was just, you know, unfortunate early on in my career to be one of those people, but then fortunate to find out about it and be able to do something about it. Gotcha. Uh, and yeah, I mean, yeah, unfortunate, but fortunate because if, if, if you weren't on the, on the extreme, if you weren't a bit of an outlier, then we wouldn't be having this conversation more than likely because you would have never come to your, uh, you know, something that, that touched you, you know, and, and, and had something that you had to work through to learn about. And then, and then, you know, obviously fast forward to where we are today. Um, when, when it comes to the electrolyte side of things that the salt, the sodium, um, I, I kind of feel like I, and like we talked about before, and I, I know enough to be dangerous sometimes, but not necessarily enough to, to feel like I'm, I'm the expert, certainly not, uh, stacked up against you here, but, um, how much of it matters as an athlete, as a runner, as a triathlete, as, as a cyclist, whatever the, the sport might be, um, as far as taking in salt, like on daily, daily activity, daily life, daily diet and nutrition versus during the competition, during the training, um, versus post, you know, completion of run race, whatever the case might be. Is it, is it something that we would benefit from no matter where you fall on the scale of how much, uh, you know, sodium you lose during your sweat? to be mindful of this all the time or is it, you know, where does it, where, I guess, where does that, uh, where do we need to prioritize the, the sodium replacement, um, in, in general, or is it more specific to during activity? It's, it's a really good question, but it's one which has not got a really simple answer because the, in essence, in any period of time, if you take a 24 hour period of time or 48 hour period of time, you, your body's going to, you're going to lose electrolytes, be that through sweating, you're going to pee some out, Mm -hmm. you're going to lose some in uh, any way in which you lose water, basically, you'll lose electrolytes. And therefore, sodium's the main electrolyte that's lost in sweat, and it's the main electrolyte in your extracellular fluid. So it tends to be the one that we lose the most of, especially in activities when we sweat. And so you need to get sufficient, you can't manufacture sodium in the body, so you need to ingest sufficient sodium to meet those needs over a over a period of time and for most people especially people who are non-athletes or people that don't do a lot of sweating or live in a hot country then most of your sodium needs if not all of them are easily met by your diet and therefore you know you kind of don't need to worry too much about extra sodium in fact you know as is sort of in the common press most of the time is a lot of people potentially benefit from reducing their sodium intake or at least moderating it although there's, there's a whole argument about that because your kidneys actually do a really good job on getting rid of any excess so you've got all these people kind of like probably the vast majority of people in the world or in the western world at least are are kind of like living in a bit of sodium excess but then you break that down into you go into a niche which is athletes especially athletes that live in hot conditions and train a lot and all of a sudden you know if you take my physiology as an example and you you simplify and say well if i'm losing about 1.5 grams of sodium per liter of sweat and i'm sweating one liter per hour when i'm running it's only like three hours of running and i'm four and a half grams of sodium Mm -hmm. down at least and 
I can go into sodium deficit really quite quickly if I'm not careful and probably therefore need to either supplement some immediately before and after I'm exercising or if I'm exercising for long enough then during as well in order to keep my blood volume up. So it's all about the intake relative to losses. And there's this big gulf that exists between people that sweat a lot and do a lot of sweaty activity and lose a lot of salt. And ironically, some of those people then are people that eat potentially really clean diets. So they actually don't eat a lot of processed foods and a lot of extra sodium. And sodium has been so sold to us as like an evil in in food Mm -hmm. that you get people who are very active, very fit, very health conscious, so they they actively reduce sodium, they sweat a lot more, and they're the people that can really get into sodium deficit quite quickly if they're not careful. So there's no kind of right or wrong answer, but what it is, it's like you need to take appropriate sodium to what you're losing. Mm -hmm. And for someone like me, what that means is that before, if I'm doing big training days, especially in the summer, or if I'm in Florida or somewhere where it's hot and humid, then I need to be salting my food a lot of the time. And I also probably benefit from taking electrolyte drinks quite often when I'm doing something sweaty Mm -hmm. because experience tells me that I just perform better and recover faster if I do that. Uh, On the flip side, you might find there's other people who, a lot of people whose sodium needs are being met by their diet. But I I would say that as a general rule, as much as I don't like general rules, then (laughs) activities lasting more than 90 minutes to two hours in hot conditions quite often benefit or certainly there's no there's there's no real downside to taking a reasonable amount of electrolytes with your fluids as an insurance policy and for some people it will actually be kind of essential gotcha. um, and, and yeah that's where it's kind of dialing it in as an individual mm. is the key and and something that I, i've been kind of kicking around as far as a, a question i think you kind of led up to it but I, i'd love to you know at least drag it right out in the open in case, in case it's kind of just mostly in my head and, and, and wasn't clear. Um, are you saying that, that again, in general, which, you know, general rules are, are, you know, not exactly my, my favorite thing to do either, but, um, for, for the, the, the athlete population, the runners, the cyclists, triathletes, whatever, um, better to have a bit more sodium than, than not enough. I mean, is, is that, is that a, a fairly safe thing to, to uh, save generalization to make? I think it is. I think the caveat to it is is that I would always say if you haven't had a little bit more sodium than you need rather than a little bit less, you'll be better off because your body has a good mechanism for getting rid of that. You tend to you tend to filter it out with your kidneys and pee it out. Mm-hmm. I think the danger with athletes is that's almost a little bit like saying is is running more miles right. kind of better than running less miles because we all know that to a large extent that's a true statement. You know, the runner who who does and can run 60 miles a week is probably going to outperform the guy or girl that's doing 25 miles a week. Mm-hmm. But there is a diminishing point of returns. I think that's the important thing is that when, when you say more is better up to a point, it's that that up to a point is a really important statement. It's not about just saying, oh yeah, more is better. Right. And I think a bit of self-experimentation around finding out, you know, when more is better. I always used to feel quite self-conscious about the amount of salt I'd put on food, especially in hot conditions compared with the people around me. But I since have learned that actually that's just actually fine and actually really beneficial for me. And, and I think it's just one of those things where as an athlete, there's a, there's actually, I can share with you a a paper that was written a few years ago. It was called the importance of salt in in the athlete's diet. 
And that's probably worth putting in the show notes for yeah, people absolutely. to read who are interested in that topic because it does a lovely job of breaking down the difference and just saying, look, there's, there is definitely no one size fits all on this. And these, these sort of like state, these, these national guidelines on sodium consumption, I think in the U S it's something like 3,600 milligrams a day mm-hmm. is supposedly like the normal, you know, the recommended amount. But that is one of those classic meaningless one size fits all numbers. Right. There'll be, there'll be loads of people who would benefit from maybe a little bit less than that, but absolutely loads of people who would benefit from more than that. I can lose, you know, I could lose all of that amount. I could lose 10 times that amount mm-hmm. in a, in a single ultramarathon, you know? So okay. it's kind of just, just tailoring it in. But I mean, one, one thing I think is a good idea for athletes if they're not, if they're not doing so already is to experiment before, especially before kind of longer and hotter races and during longer and hotter races or training sessions with a little bit more sodium and electrolytes than they've probably been trying and just see how that affects things. Mm-hmm. Because there's very little downside to doing that. And especially if you're a cramper or you're someone who's had historically poor performances in the heat, there's very little downside to experimenting with a bit more. And there's there's a huge upside if it, if it helps. Um, and I don't, I don't know whether it's helpful at this point, but people often ask, okay, well, what's kind of when you're exercising or when you're doing a long-distance event, what, what is a, a low or a high amount of sodium to take in? And I would say, you know, a low amount of sodium is, is anywhere, you know, from zero up really, you know, mm. I would say most people benefit from taking more than zero, but some people can seemingly do very long hot races on quite a negligible amount of sodium intake if their sweat rates and their, their sodium losses aren't too high. Mm-hmm. On the high end, I, I was someone who tended to benefit from about 1.5 grams of sodium an hour in an Ironman on the bike. So, that's and you know, so 1,500 milligrams, which is which is quite a lot. It's a lot you know, yeah. it's, a, it's, a, it's a lot of salt. And but but that if you treat that as a continuum line, you know, between essentially zero and 1,500 milligrams an hour, you know, if you think you're likely to benefit from having more because your your symptoms and your signs show more, then you know, kind of starting off at 1,000, 1,200 milligrams, something like that, and then tweaking it up or down is mm-hmm. probably not a bad place to start. If you're a little bit more on the conservative side and not not had so many problems you know three four hundred milligrams 500 milligrams might be a good amount and then you just dial it in and the mm-hmm. only true test for what's working is then what works in practice right you know you you, you soon learn basically yeah and, and i think that, that that's something that i've i've i guess done for myself somewhat intentionally but, but maybe not knowing it so much you know kind of going back to it too much versus too little. Like, you know, you, you trial and error a little bit and, and, you know, if, if you're, if you're feeling better when you've added a little bit more then Hey, maybe, maybe you need a little bit more. Um, because if you're feeling better, like that, that, that could be the sign that, that maybe you weren't in a, in a serious depleted mode at the end of a run. Like, like I've said before, maybe it was on the, the episode that you were listening to and, and mentioned earlier. Um, but like, you know, I, I'll notice occasionally in the summertime after, a, after a long run, you know, obviously being hot, humid, things like that, that like kind of have a headache and kind of just feel kind of like a little bit cloudy in the brain, like brain fog for, for several hours after a run. And then, you know, randomly I was like, I, I don't even know that it was intentional, but I noticed that the, that the water, I usually add a little bit of, of sea salt to my, my water bottles during, during a run, actually just on day to day living. And I think that it just happened to notice it was saltier that day. And it was like, kind of like noticed it while I was yeah. drinking it, but like whatever. And then like, you know, miraculously, I didn't have any headache after that run, even though the, the conditions were basically the same, the mileage was the same, the intensity was the same. Um, and it was kind of like that light bulb moment of like, oh, like maybe 
the, the little bit of salt that I normally add is, is fine in the winter months or, or fine for a, a normal day, but on longer run days, like maybe add a little bit more. And, and there's, there's the light bulb moment of like, Oh, I feel better with a little bit more. So, so there we go. Yeah, definitely. It's exactly that, that process. And just what a lot of athletes do is, you know, they do these things, but don't necessarily realize they're manipulating these variables. Mm-hmm. And it's good just to be organized and write down, okay, and figure out what, how many milligrams of sodium you've been taking and noting down what you've been eating in your, in your diet and seeing if you spot patterns with right. it. Because ultimately these, the interaction of how your body responds on a hot day is going to depend on loads of different things you know the, the state that you're in if you if if you're well acclimated to the heat because it's kind of midsummer mm-hmm. as opposed to the, the first few hot days of summer your body will probably react a little bit differently than if you're not acclimatized because we see loads of problems with people when they get a sudden heat wave because you're just not used to right. running out in those temperatures and your body hasn't had time to adapt and your practices haven't had time to adapt and the, the other thing which you, you're kind of touching on which is important to I guess to emphasize is that you've got your body's got fantastic instincts for thirst and also for the taste for salt. And if you're getting back from a run and you know, you're kind of dreaming of French fries and um, salt and salt tastes fantastic. And a drink, if you add salt to a drink or have a strong electrolyte drink, it tastes amazing. That's a really sure sign that your body's crying out for it. Mm-hmm. And we all know that kind of feeling when you've had enough salt. So you've eaten a load of, um, you know, potato chips or something and at some point your body goes enough Enough. yeah no that salt is just like too much now it was tasting great and now it's not tasting good and that's because your body goes right i'm topped up Mm -hmm. so being able to tune in and listen to those signals and interpret them is is really important it takes a while but i think if you do then ultimately you can become much better at managing this on the go Right. And also in spotting the trends and pre-planning what you're going to drink and eat, and then then you become a lot a lot better at, at getting the optimal outcome. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, a couple more questions as we're getting getting kind of close to wrapping up, Andy. But I'd, I'd be curious if you found either this in in yourself, in the athletes you work with, or just in the in the science that you, that you've looked at overall. But does does the amount of of sodium that we need change over time, either increasing, decreasing, relative to you know, obviously you. Can, manipulate a bunch of variables and then that's going to change things. But if, if training stays about the same, as far as volume, as far as climate, as far as intensity, um, do our bodies basically need the same amount, um, uh, of sodium replacement in, in, yeah, I would say, I would say it's a fairly static factor for within okay. you as an individual. When, when we test people's sweat sodium loss multiple times over multiple years, it tends to be pretty or really stable within an individual. So much so that kind of leads us to think it's basically driven largely by genetics. Gotcha. Gotcha. So, so, so the variables then are diet, regular diet intake, and then the, the intensity, like all of the training variables are going to differentiate yeah. as opposed to your body changing over time. Yeah. The biggest factor is essentially like how much sweating you're doing. Gotcha. So if, if you're, if you're doing more training at a higher intensity and in hotter conditions, you probably need more sodium overall, but right the actual content of every liter of your sweat isn't going to change too much. Okay. That, that makes sense. And then, um, one other thing that, that, you know, it, it's somewhat timely because we're recording this in, uh, you know, mid December, I think this is going to be out like the very first part of January, but in, in any event, it's winter in the Northern hemisphere right now. Yeah. Um, how, how much, you know, obviously the, the heat does play a factor in, in, in rate of sweating and things of that nature, but how much does the, the, do we need to worry about, 
hydration? Do we need to worry about electrolyte replacement when, when we are running, you know, in the, in the winter months or in the, in the colder months, um, as opposed to, to, is it, is it only a summertime concern or is it something that we should be at least paying attention to year round? I think you need to pay attention to it year round, but definitely obviously the risk factor of things going wrong increase with an increase in temperature. So, you know, I still would find you know, that I, I need to drink probably more than the average person and have a little bit more salt year round than, than the average person. But that's because my activity level is pretty stable year round now. You know, I still train nearly as much in the winter as I do in the summer. Um, what I would say though is that, yeah, the biggest factor there is like that, the environmental conditions. And, and, and when you're, when you're in, when you're somewhere like when I come to Florida, as I have done a few times in the last few years, and then not only are you working out in the heat, but you're living and like yeah. you're just walking around and just mm-hmm. basically you just sweat all day long unless you're in air conditioning the whole time. And, and of course then what that does is that just places more of a, you just get more of a chronic salt loss mm-hmm. thing going on. And so I just find that especially if I, if I fly in from somewhere cold and then immediately spend two or three weeks there, then I just have to work my salt take as soon as I arrive. And then, then it helps me, it helps me counteract those losses. Mm-hmm. So I think that's probably where the biggest variable is, is, is there'll be a difference in the amount that you lose when you're exercising, but there's a huge difference to the amount that you lose within a 24 hour period. If you're, if you are or are not living in that heat and humidity. Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, well, that's, that's great stuff. And I, I could probably ask another dozen questions, but at some point we're going to have to start wrapping this one up, but it would be curious, um, to, to allow you to, to talk a little bit about precision hydration and the products you have available. I, I, I know I've flipped through the website a little bit, but tell us about what options are available as far as um, pills, mixes, the, the whole nine yards of, of what you have. And I know you'd mentioned there's a little bit of a discount code, so you can, you can plug that as well before we wrap up for today. Cool. Yeah. Well, basically it's really simple. We, the, a standard sports drink, if you take like a Gatorade or a, we have Lucasade in the UK or something, they tend to be around, um, 500, 400 to 500 milligrams of sodium per liter. That's kind of the industry. For whatever reason, that's mm-hmm. where the industry has decided like a standard electrolyte drink needs to be. We 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 make one at 500. We make one at 1,000 milligrams. We make one at 1,500, which is mm-hmm. super strong. And so, and we do it in different formats. So you've got a, a, an effervescent tablet that you drop in the water, which fizzes up and has no calories, but it has lots of electrolytes. Or we make a little packet with powder which has a little bit of carbohydrate with it as well although it doesn't have anything like as much carbohydrate as a a regular isotonic drink does Mm -hmm. it's about it's about half the calories because when you're drinking a drink for hydration only and not for calories you don't want to slow the movement of it through the gut into the bloodstream Mm -hmm. too much and and you need a little bit of carbohydrate to facilitate that but not a lot so we just have these like the different strengths real simple products with, with the different levels of electrolyte. And that, that allows people to understand that's the key variable that matters to, mm-hmm. to replacing what I lose in my sweat. And I can try a different strength, the different strengths or use the different strengths in different circumstances. So I'll, I'll typically use the 500s or thousands in the winter, but I'm on the 1500s all the way in the summer. Right. And, you know, so it's just, it's, it is basically that simple and coupled with that. We've obviously got our sweat testing where if mm-hmm. people are interested in, grabbing a sweat test they can look on our website find out where the nearest center is that offers it they can do the free online test and if if people want to you know have further questions we we actually do one-to-one video calls for free so, mm. so um jp who's our 
Um, oh, he's a runner and he's our in-house head of customer service. He's a sports scientist. Him and his team and myself, we jump on one-to-one video calls with people. You can book them through our website. And, and, you, and if you want any information on that as well, you can email us at hello at precisionhydration.com. And, you know, we're happy, happy to chat hydration and nutrition with anyone. Yeah, well, and, and good stuff. And, and, and like I said, at the beginning, good science, which is which is always, uh, you know, important when it when you, you start to at least for me, it's kind of that that uh, um, check of like, all right, are they just trying to sell the product? Or are they just trying to really educate us? And, and yeah, we've got a solution, a solution, there's other solutions as well. And I feel like you guys definitely aren't just out here trying to sell something, Andy, which is, which is certainly appreciated. It's, it's, you've got great information, great science, willing to help out. Um, and, and that's, that's fantastic. And, and guys, uh, Andy didn't say it, but I'm going to say it for him. Um, they, they were generous enough that Andy and the team over at precision hydration to offer, uh, offer us a little code as well. If you, if you decide that, Hey, you might need some, some help with the, on the electrolyte front, electrolyte front. Um, and you go through the precision hydration website. If you use the code disruns, you save 15% on anything that you get, which is, uh, you know, it's, it's a lot better than nothing, that's for sure. And if it helps you feel better, helps you perform better, I mean, shoot, well, well, well worth it. So check out check it out at precisionhydration.com. Uh, one last question for you, Andy. I, I can't let you off the hook without a, a philosophical question, which is kind of my, my closing, um, you know, kind of like the introductory question, very open-ended, but, but kind of the, the, the way to wrap things up today. And I would just be curious, you know, at this point in your in your life, at this point in your, your athletic career and, and uh, everything that, that's gone on, you know, as, as far as competing in the, in the different races and the cramping issues and where you are now, um, what still gets you out the door in the, in the morning what, to go for a run, to go for a swim, to go for a bike? What, why, why keep, um, keep competing, keep, keep training, keep racing uh, once races are a thing again? You know, what is it about the endurance sport scene that uh, still excites you at this point in your life? Oh, I just, it's, it's, it's literally become part of me now. I, I couldn't separate. I think one of the worst things that could possibly happen for me would be that I'd not be able to run anymore. It gives me, I go out early most mornings for a run. It gives me a great bit of headspace and time to think. It's most of my friends are involved in the sport or the sports that I do in, in some way. It's kind of like, woven into my life and I think my life would be just just generally be a lot poorer without it not to mention the sort of um the the, the physical benefits it gives you you know just you know keeping yourself healthy mm-hmm. and, and whatnot I mean I look at my dad's 73 this year and still knocks around a 5k in like 25 minutes or something like that Not bad and, at all. <laughs> you know and he's never been super competitive or anything like that but he just he just like keeps trucking on and he's like huge. That gives me massive inspiration because I, I want to be there. And I, we, we often joke about, you know, whether I'll be, because my PBs in, in my thirties, forties are a bit faster than his, but he's kind of like egging me on the whole time saying, I don't know if you'll be this fast when you hit 70, mm-hmm. you know? And that's, and so, yeah, it's just, for me, it's just, it's just like huge. It's just a fantastic part of life. And I know you, you probably feel the same way about it, but if, if people can you know get into it and find running and and stick with it it's the best thing you'll ever do absolutely absolutely agree and I'm, I'm sure i'm not the only person listening to that that's nodding their head right now going yep yep that that sounds about right and and i would love to be uh still still pushing the the, the pace a little bit in the 5k you know 20 30 40 years from now so thank you for for sharing that andy and, and once again guys precisionhydration.com is the website on instagram it's the same handle there at precision hydration on twitter it's at the sweat experts uh disruns.com slash 906 we'll have everything linked up there the discount code the whole nine yards disruns.com slash 906 so uh andy thank 
you for for taking the time today. I appreciate it. Certainly, I learned a few things. I hope everybody else that that listened was learning some things as well, taking some notes because uh, so much great information out there. And uh, thank you for being such a, a wealth of it and willingly sharing it. I uh, appreciate it and uh, certainly wish you uh, nothing but the best going forward, both on the, the running side and the, the business side. And thanks for all you're doing for the community. Really appreciate your time today. Anytime. Thanks, Danny. Lovely to chat. All right, guys. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode of the show. Hope that you enjoyed the conversation between Andy and myself. And as per usual, would be curious to know what stood out to you from today's episode. What was your takeaway from the conversation today. For, for me, I think it goes back to earlier in the episode. I mean, I could have had a half a dozen of things that were like, oh yeah, great points, awesome learning lessons from the, the talk about the science of, of hydration and the electrolyte replacement stuff. And, and uh, I, I love that stuff. Hope you enjoyed it as well. But, but my takeaway came from earlier in the conversation when Andy was talking about his days in at university competing, you know, kind of right there on the cusp of the world stage of, of some of the triathlon events and how he mentioned that at that level, sometimes what separates folks and, and what makes the difference between who progresses up the ladder and who doesn't is who has a good day on race day, who has a good day in a key workout. And and the importance of remembering that everybody has good days and bad days. And, and the reason that stood out to me is because just simply because of that. Because sometimes I think that I lose sight of the fact that not only do I have good days and bad days, but so do those that are faster than me. So, so do those that are beating me at races locally, that are beating me at races in, in any event, um, that, that their slow day is my fast day. Like they have good days and bad days. I have good days and bad days. And sometimes I try to hold myself to the standard of like I have to be perfect every day. And there was just something about that, that segment of the conversation when Andy was talking about that where I was just like, oh, yeah. That's a good reminder that not every day is going to be your best day, whether it's race day, whether it's a random Tuesday it doesn't matter. You know, you have a great day every once in a while. And when you do enjoy it, lean into it, embrace it. But you have a lot of so-so days. And then you have a few of those days that just nothing seems like it's working. And when that's the case, it's important for me to remember, maybe important for you to remember as well, that it doesn't mean that everything you're doing is wrong. It's just, it's sometimes it's just one of those days. And, and yeah, I don't know why, but for some reason, this really kind of stood out to me today. And so, you know, as, as it is the case, that means it was my takeaway, right? Maybe there was something below the surface I needed to be reminded of. Uh, cause I don't think there's anything right on the surface that, that this is striking to for me. Um, but just a great reminder at the start of a new year that, that yeah, aim for, aim for greatness, aim for the best you can possibly do, but recognize that you're not going to be at your best every single day because not for nothing, but by definition, if you're at your best every single day, then that's just your average. That's just your average. If you think about it. So, uh, something again something that stood out to me maybe you as well uh good days and bad days we all have them and uh you know it's just it's just the nature of the beast so anyway that was my takeaway today what about you what stood out to you from today's episode let me know at disruns on twitter at disruns on instagram of course you can also send an email to disruns at gmail.com or you can head over to the show notes for today's episode which you can get to at disruns.com slash 906 disruns.com slash 906. And we got the links. We got the photos. We got everything that we always do. Ellen, as per usual, doing a bang up job with the show notes, but then you can scroll on down through all of her great handiwork and find that comment section down there at the bottom of the page. Leave your thoughts, feedbacks, takeaways for today's episode there as well. Um, so that's about it. But one last time, uh, I want to remind you of the, the discount code that Andy and, and the crew over at Precision Hydration are offering. Uh, the code is just Dizruns. Pretty easy to remember, pretty kind of the standard coupon code around here. Uh, if you're if you 
in the market, you want to check out their products, maybe check out some of the free stuff that they offer, the resources. And if you're like, yeah, this looks good, uh, don't forget to use the code DizRuns. I get zero kickback on that, and that's okay. Um, it's just strictly them offering that that discount for you. Uh, so check it out at, at precisionhydration.com. And if you find something that you enjoy, uh, go ahead and use the code DizRuns to save yourself 15%. Also, a reminder that today's episode is brought to you by the relationship I have with Audible. So if you want to check out a, an audiobook uh, and let me know what you check out, you can get it for free uh, if you sign up for a 30-day trial through disruns.com slash audible. Disruns.com slash audible is the link. And uh, let me know what book you get. And uh, then let me know if you end up with a subscription. And my hunch is you're going to because it's uh, it's pretty awesome to be out for a walk, out for a run, just doing some work around the house and reading a book at the same time. I'm really having it read to you. But who are we here to, to mince details and, and uh, get into that type of, of granular detail? But anyway... Uh, that is about it for today. So y'all, thank you for listening. Happy New Year. And uh, hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did hit that share button, tell a friend, spread the word. Always appreciate it. Until next time, y'all, please be well. Take good care. Thanks again for listening. And uh, we'll talk soon, right?